you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to take it out, take it out and turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're finishing up with chapter 2 today, and we'll begin part of chapter 3. The title of the sermon is Jesus versus Religion. Jesus versus Religion. Uh, we began to see last week that Jesus caused uh, quite a stir in his community because he called a tax collector to be one of his disciples and indeed went to that tax collector's home at the, at, in that evening and ate with sinners and other tax collectors and, and other people who were there uh, who uh, had um, bad reputations. And Jesus caused uh, quite a stir in doing that. One of the interesting things about the gospel accounts is that Jesus, over and over and over, goes to the good guys, the seemingly good guys, the people that we would look as good guys, and he confronts them and actually turns everything up on its head because the good guys end up being the bad guys, and the bad guys end up being the the good guys. And that's what makes these stories so interesting because Jesus turns the natural way of things up on its head. Jesus constantly offends religious people. He constantly offends the good guys. Upside down is right side up with Jesus. Now I want you to understand something, that Jesus did not come to fix normal religion. Jesus came to end normal religion, and we see that in the passage before us today. The problem, and our problem, is that uh, religion is in the hands of good people. That religion in the hands of good people is turned into something that's really terrible. And we need to be confronted with our goodness so often, the goodness that we think makes us right before God. And we're going to see today that Jesus, when he talks to and confronts religious people, it actually angers him. And we're going to see... uh, all of these things here today. Let me read this for you. That We're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 2. If you have the Pew Bible, it's page 837. Hear God's good and kind word to you today. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to him, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with him? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins." One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
And again, he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. There's a lot of stuff in this passage. So we need to pray and ask for the Lord's help and understanding it. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. We thank you that by it we see the gospel of your grace and your mercy to us. I pray that your son Jesus Christ would be preached here this morning. And that we would have a glimpse of him and his glory and what he's done for us. And ending religion and replacing it with himself. I pray, Father, that you would help us to believe on him and him alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we have three scenes that are before us today. Three scenes of a religious nature. If this was a movie, uh, it would be in three different parts. And so we would have Jesus confronting or being confronted about fasting and then about things they're doing. The second scene would be about them, what they're doing on uh, the Sabbath day. And then the third one would be about a healing on a Sabbath day. So there's all of these religious things that are going on around uh, what's happening. Uh, so I want to look at this in these three scenes in this way. First of all, in verses 18 through 23, we're going to see the first scene, which is the new versus the old. Uh, Jesus teaches us the new versus the old. In the second scene, we're going to see rest versus regulation. That's in verses 23 and 27. And then the third scene, we're going to see good versus harm. And that is in 3 verses 1 through 6. So we're going to begin with the new versus the old in verses 18 through 23. And it's this question of fasting. John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, his disciples are fasting. Uh, and the Pharisees and all of their disciples are fasting. And so there's this question. Jesus and his disciples, they're not fasting. They're not doing these hyper-religious things. And, and so people come and they say, well, Jesus, why are you and your disciples not fasting? What's going on with this? Well, we need to understand the background to this fasting. If I were to ask you how many times in the Old Testament a fast was required, or how many times the Bible specifically said the Old Testament people of God should fast, no doubt we would say it happened all the time. They were required to fast a lot. But in fact, there's only one required fast the entire year for, for God's people. Only one, and that is on the Day of Atonement, the High Holy Day where God asked for his people to fast from food, and, and that's it. Outside of that, there is no requirement for fasting. Now, at other times throughout the Old Testament, people would call for a special fast, but again, this was not a normal and regular fast. There was only one time that it was required. You can look at Leviticus chapter 16 and then various places in Numbers where that, uh, that fast is, is told to us. Okay? Um, well, so what's happening here? What's the fasting that they're talking about here? Well, the Pharisees, a few hundred years before Jesus was born, uh, they decided that they were going to show how separate and super spiritual they were by instituting extra biblical fast. And so on Mondays and Thursdays, 
Pharisees would make a big show of their fasting. They would re- not take any food for, from uh, morning till evening, and then they would go out publicly and they would start telling people how holy and righteous they were. Look, look at me, look at the fast that I'm doing. Which is why uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't fast that way. If you're going to fast, do it privately. But the Pharisees, of course, made a big show out of it. So I need you to understand that when they come and they ask Jesus, why are his disciples not fasting? The disciples are not breaking any of the commandments of the Old Testament. They're not breaking God's law. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or to do away with it. But again, in the Sermon on the Mount, I've come to fulfill it. So we need to understand that Jesus is going to teach something about his fulfilling of the law here. And Jesus' answer is really interesting because he says, he begins to, he gives a parable. He talks about a wedding, and then he talks about uh, uh, cloth, and then he talks about uh, uh, um, wine. So actually three different stories and parables to illustrate his point. The first one he says, you know, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? And so he asked us, to, he invites us to imagine for a moment that we're going to a wedding because, let's say, our daughter is getting married and we're going to a wedding. He says, how crazy would it be for the father of the bride to not eat and, and enjoy the day that his daughter is getting married? That would be nuts. It's a day of celebration, and that's what he says. Today is a day of celebration. I'm the bridegroom. My disciples should celebrate with me. And he says there's going to be a time where they're going to fast. And, of course, he's looking forward to the time of his death on the cross. And then he says this very strange story that we don't understand because we don't do a whole lot of sewing. At least I don't. Amy does. She could probably tell you more about this. But he says no one takes an old piece of cloth and puts it on a new garment or a new piece of cloth or an old garment. Why? Because if you stitch this up, the old faded garment will tear away and it will tear the new along with it. Old versus new. And then he tells another old versus new. He says, um, no one puts new wine in an old wineskin. Well, we're not doing a whole lot of transferring wine from one item to another. uh, So we need to understand a little bit about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, the new wine is the stuff that isn't quite fermented yet. It's still in the fermentation process. So if you take that wine and all the gases that are being released from that and you put it in an old shriveled up wineskin, what's going to happen? As it ferments, the whole thing's going to bust. He says, you don't do it. You ruin the old and the new if you do that. So these actually make a whole lot of sense to us whenever you understand them in that way. No one doesn't, you don't celebrate on the day of the wedding or you don't fast on the day of the wedding. Uh, You don't put old and new. You don't mix those things. And what Jesus is saying is that you don't mix old-time religion with what Jesus is bringing because he is bringing something new. When I say old-time religion, I'm not saying Old Testament religion. I'm talking about the religion that goes back all the way to the time of Adam and Eve. Old-time religion says that God is up there, and I have to do something to make God happy. I have to climb the ladder. I have to do, the, do these things and then God will be happy with me. This is the nature of man-made religion. And every religion apart from biblical Christianity says that you and I have to do something to make God happy. And that's old religion. And Jesus says that that's exactly what these people are doing with their fasting. That they're trying to do something to earn their way to God. That's the Jewish version of this. You follow the regulations, you put a regulation on everything, and you do this, do this, do this, do this, and by your work, 
you make God happy or you make him angry. And if you do enough, then God's going to accept you. So that's the Jewish version. There's lots of versions of this, and all of them are exactly the same. There's actually, and this is terrifying to me, there's an American evangelical Presbyterian version of old-time religion, and it's this. We go to church, and God's happy with us. We read our Bible, and God's happy with us. We pray this number of times in a day, and God's happy with us. I don't talk bad about these people, these people, these people. Forget about those people that I do talk bad about. But, but, but I do these things, and God is pleased with me because of my hard work. That's the American evangelical Presbyterian Clinton, Louisiana, faith Presbyterian version of that, where you have come to church because you think by coming here, God is going to be more happy with you. That's old religion. That's not what Jesus came to bring. Jesus actually comes to bring something new, and that is himself. He says, old religion says you get right with God by climbing the ladder. You get to as high as you can, and you push everyone else down. And Jesus says, no, it's not about doing enough. Being right with God, as a matter of fact, has nothing to do with you. But it has everything to do with him. And what he came for. Here's the good thing about this. Jesus has come to us. Old religion says we go to God. The new, what Jesus brings, the gospel of his grace says that God has come to us. Because the old religion actually isn't going to God at all. We can't do it. And so Jesus, in a rescue, comes down to us. It's not about you doing enough, not you being better, not you doing better. But it's about you resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ in everything that he has done for you. And Jesus says, actually, to mix the old religion with the new is to destroy both of them, is to destroy all of your work and the new as well. You see, what we tend to do is we tend to think that, well, if I can just be good enough as a, as a good Presbyterian and do the things a good Presbyterian people can do, then that's enough, and, and that's what I have to do to add to the work of Jesus. Well, trying to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ destroys all of the work of Jesus. You cannot add one single thing by your righteousness to the finished work of Jesus. It's, it's subtraction by addition. <laughs> trying to add to Jesus actually subtracts from the work of Jesus, and that's what he teaches us here. You put new wine in the new wineskins. He has come to bring the new, to bring the fresh to follow him. That's the first thing we see, the new versus the old. The second thing is rest versus regulation. And this is the second scene in 23 through 27. Um, before, we get into, um, before we get into kind of what's happening here, you and I need to understand something about what's called the Christian Sabbath. We don't talk about the Sabbath very much, uh, but the Sabbath is still very much in place. Uh, you read the fourth commandment, and the fourth commandment says, On the Lord's day you shall do no work. Right? Uh, he has instituted that as a day. And it's not just something that you and I can pick up and do away with as we want. This is his day. And when did he give it to us? It wasn't merely in the Ten Commandments, but he actually gave it to us way back at the beginning of creation. So the Sabbath is still in place. Read the fourth commandment. A lot of times we think there's ten commandments with one suggestion. No, there are ten commandments, and the Sabbath is given to us by God as a good gift. What was God's intention uh, for the Sabbath? Well, here's the intention. The word Sabbath means rest. 
It's actually very close to the word uh, shalom, which means peace. So on the Sabbath day, we enjoy the peace and the rest of God. It's for our rest. It's for our enjoyment. It's for our refreshment in God. That's why he gave us a Sabbath. Every other religion says work, 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 and God says rest. And one day in seven, we're to rest in the finished work of God for us. So here, Jesus is confronted because his disciples are walking through a field and, and they pick up grain on the Sabbath day and they're just kind of gleaning and picking up bits and pieces with their hand, whatever's left. And they take it and they rub it between their hands and they begin to eat the kernels, uh, the, the little seeds that are in there. And then all of a sudden, everyone's offended by this. How can they do this thing? Well, what's happening? The Pharisees said that there are 39 things that you cannot do on the Sabbath day. Now, God didn't give very many restrictions on the Sabbath. He said you shouldn't work, but you should enjoy. Don't work, you should enjoy. And there are some other little things that he says you, you should or shouldn't do, but, but outside of that, he didn't give a whole laundry list of things. And the Pharisees said, we need to do something to improve upon what God has given us. And so they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give these 39 things. And, and the one thing you can't do, absolutely, is harvest on the Sabbath day. Harvest is work. And so, you know, it's not necessarily just the sickle that's harvesting, but if you walk through a grain field and merely pluck a head of grain when you're hungry, that is harvesting, and therefore you are breaking God's law. These are extra-biblical requirements that the Pharisees are putting on. And here's what we need to understand, that man-made religion, the old religion, destroys God's intention for the day of rest. Religion says we must uh, work, we must try really hard in order to not work. Do you get that? You have to work really hard in order to not work. Religion ruins God's intention because God says, I want you to rest. I want you to take one day out of seven and enjoy all of your hard work. And not just enjoy your hard work, but enjoy my hard work. To be refreshed in worship with God's people. To be refreshed and just enjoying the day. But religion is not for the enjoyment of God. Religion is for making God happy. And so do this, do this, do this, do this, and make sure you don't mess up or God is going to be angry with you. Religion says that God is only happy with us whenever we are miserable. Some of you actually think that. You don't realize it, but you do think that. One of the greatest illustrations uh, that I can think of, and it's the greatest, well, maybe not the greatest, but, but right up there with Lord of the Rings, Presbyterians like talking about this movie and these books more than anything else, but, but Chariots of Fire. I mean, Presbyterians, that is the Presbyterian movie. So if you need something to watch, Chariots of Fire, okay? It's the story of Eric Liddell, and uh, it's the story of him. He, he's an actual character. He's a Presbyterian. He's Scottish, and he's a, a, an incredibly gifted runner. Uh, he runs in the Olympics, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of great things about it. It actually is a, it's one of the only movies ever made that's about the Sabbath, can you believe it? I mean, that's one of the main points is what we're to do on the Sabbath. And Eric Liddell says he won't run on the Sabbath. He's highly favored to win an Olympic medal. And he says, well, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to run on that day. It's not my day. It's the Lord's day. So he gives up the glory of man for the glory of God. But that's not what I want to talk about here. Because one of the interesting things about Eric Liddell and one of the things that he says is, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And, and it's this beautiful thing whenever he runs 
this strange metamorphosis happens with Eric Liddell because he's trying real hard at the beginning of his run and then all of a sudden about halfway through, you know, five seconds into this 10-second run or whatever it is, he's transformed and his head goes back and his arms go out. And in his running, he's worshiping. And he says, I feel the pleasure of God and I know that God is pleased with me because I'm running for It's an amazing thing. I encourage you to see it. That's not the response of religion. It's the response that says, God is for me. God is pleased with me, not because of what I do, but because of what Christ has done for me. And so what does Jesus do with these Pharisees? Well, he actually teaches them scripture. He looks at these guys and he says, have you never read? Well, that is a slap in their face because, of course, they've read this. You're talking about people that memorize wide swaths of the, of the Old Testament. They would have these probably memorized. He says, look, David went in and took the bread of presence when it was not lawful for him to do it. When he was hungry, when his friends were hungry, when they were being pursued, they took the bread of presence and they ate it. Have you never read that he did what was unlawful for the sake of necessity? He says, don't let the laws get in the way of the enjoyment and what God wants for you. Jesus says, I want you to remember that God is for you and not against you. And he reminds us this, that we were, or that the Sabbath was made for us. Look at verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We were not made to serve the Sabbath. But God gave us the Sabbath to enjoy it, to rest to be refreshed in him. And we're reminded here that Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So that means that we can't do with it as we want. We follow him and his example of how we should observe the Sabbath. But you see what religion does is it says there's these regulations, there's these things that you do, and this is how you make God happy. And Jesus says, no, the, the Sabbath rest is for you so that you can enjoy God. Jesus says enjoy, religion says work. Finally, good versus harm in, in uh, 1 verses 6 of chapter 3. There's this healing on the Sabbath and, and this final scene that we're given. And he goes into the synagogue. Now, what's interesting about this, and if you go back a few weeks, you can look at this. We talked about Jesus' normal practice. He goes to church every single Sabbath. He prays constantly. He does all of these things. Well... Here again, he's doing something that we would normally call religious, but he's not doing it for the sake of making God happy. He's doing it to meet with his Father. So there's this whole thing about the motivation behind why we're doing our religious activities. But here Jesus is there on the Sabbath. He's worshiping with God's people in the church of his day. And he's given a setup. And you see the heart of the Pharisees here. They can't stand that Jesus is rising in power, and so they set him up. They go to their church to set him up. And so the Pharisees would have said, well, you can't do the work of healing on the Sabbath day. If you heal somebody, that's work, and that's not what the Sabbath is for. So Jesus challenges the Pharisees, and he actually reveals their hearts. And you see a stark contrast here between the gospel of God's grace versus religion. Because why was the Sabbath made? Why did God give you the Sabbath? He gave us the Sabbath because he knows what we're like. He knows that we need to rest from our worldly labors. 
He gave us the Sabbath because he knows that we're weak and we need healing. But the Pharisees said, you can't heal, that's not what it's for. And Jesus says, that's precisely what the Sabbath is for. God gave us this day so that we could be healed. And here are these religious people saying, you can't do it because we made a rule. You can't do that sort of thing. And here's the stark contrast. Religion says that the Sabbath day is for pain and for languishing and for not being healed. And Jesus says, no, the Sabbath day is for that healing. And interestingly, Jesus gets angry. We don't think a lot about the anger of Jesus. But look, this is what he said. Verse 5, he looked around at them. He looked around at them with anger. Jesus gets angry because he's looking around and, and we're told that he's grieved at the hardness of their heart. Jesus is angered by their hardness of heart. Here's a man who is suffering with, with his hand and, and they won't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, they will use him to prop themselves up to try to catch Jesus and to make a spectacle of him. Jesus is angered by this. But here's what's interesting about the anger of Jesus. Whenever Jesus gets angry, he doesn't do what we do. Think about what happens to you whenever you get angry. What do you do? You're driving, driving down, the, down the interstate and someone pulls in front of you and you lash out, right? You yell at someone. You know, your spouse does something you don't like, you get angry. You lash out at your kids. You lash out at everyone who dares to get in your way. And here the Pharisees have gotten in the way of the second person of the Trinity, Yahweh himself. And he's angry. But look at how he acts. Instead of acting out and lashing out in wrath and anger, he's grieved to his heart, and he tells the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out, and his hand was restored. And Christ, in his anger, he reacts in love. It's an amazing thing. Because Jesus came to restore what was broken. Now, we need to think about this for a moment, and very quickly, we need to think about our self-righteousness. Too often, we are just like the Pharisees. We think that we're accepted because we're good, because we're nice, because we look a certain way, because we took a bath this morning and we smell okay, and nobody's going to be offended by us because we don't have any tattoos, because we don't have a certain lifestyle uh, that we disagree with, and we look down our nose at people because we think, I'm the good one, I'm the nice one, and everyone else out there the problem. And we gather with our nice people at our nice church and we just say, look, we're the good ones. Well, that is self-righteousness. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were doing. And that angered Jesus. The things that you and I tend to think make us good are a stench in the nostril of God. When we care more about our regulation and our goodness and our niceness than we do about people and their suffering, we are a stench. When we hold anything up to God apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when we say, look, God, I've done this good thing for you, and we say, I want you to accept me on this one little thing, we are a stench to God. So what are you holding up to God this morning? What do you think makes you right with him? What do you want to be judged by? Because here's the thing, and we need to be reminded of this all the time. Only Jesus Christ and his righteousness will do for us. It's the only thing that matters. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he is restored. This morning, we need to understand that we're the man 
with a withered hand. We're the man who is the man who is suffering, who can do nothing for herself, who need a, who needs a physician to heal her hearts. And Jesus has come to restore us, to heal us. We need to learn that this morning. Here's in conclusion: Religion is about you and what you do. Christianity is about Jesus and what He did. We need to be learning more and thinking more about Jesus and what He's done. Now this morning we have the joy of meeting with Jesus in his supper. We have the joy of being invited to his feast. And over and over and over, the story of the scripture, the things that were taught. Uh, when I say story, I don't mean it's not true. It's a true story. Is that we are invited over and over to a feast that God gives us. Isaiah chapter 25. It's a beautiful passage where Jesus invites all of his people to a great and glorious feast. And, and we sit down at that feast and we recognize and we see that, that on the table there, is, there are fine meats and cheeses and, and wine and all of this, this beautiful spread. And all of God's people are invited to this incredible feast and, and we're, we're, we're told to eat and enjoy. And then all of God's people look up and they see at the head of the table is Jesus Christ himself. And instead of having the feast spread out for him, there's nothing but death. And he swallows it down. And then the people look up and they see their Lord swallowing death, the death that they deserved. And they begin to weep and cry and say, I cannot eat. I do not deserve to eat. And then the Lord himself walks up to every single one and wipes the tear from their eye. He said, I did this for you. Remember my work. Enjoy my presence and my work for you. You're invited to the feast of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of you who have come in faith are invited to enjoy the bounty of his work. And we learn that here in this feast. Let's pray and ask for his help once again as we take this meal. Our Father, we thank you for giving us uh, this day. We thank you for this passage. And uh, Father, I pray that you would use it uh, for your glory. I pray that uh, the words that were said here today, as, um, as poor as they were, that they would be your words, that you would do your work in and through them, and that you would receive the glory for them. And I pray that as we move to this supper, that we would see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, his work for us that we would remember all that he did, and that we would enjoy his presence. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I invite the elders to come forward to prepare the table for us.